The Secrets of Technology is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Technology. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Technology, where we discuss the technology news that's important to you from a uniquely Catholic point of view. And joining me today on the panel are Father Joseph Sund. Hey, Father Joseph. Greetings from the warm 20 degrees of Nebraska. <laughs> I think Father Corey had you beat this week. I think he was at five up in uh, Montana. And of course, Victor Lambs. Hey, Victor. Hey, greetings from the uh, slightly warmer Detroit, Michigan. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, here in the Boston area, it's 40 degrees outside, so we're doing nice. pretty good. Nice. Yes. It's that's, bo- short, that's shorts weather up here. Yeah, that's veritably balmy here. Uh, so before we get into the show, I want to tell you about another show on the StarQuest Network you're sure to enjoy, Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World. You can find that wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash mysterious. So I want to get right into today's topic. This is a really interesting one to me because it's something I don't know very much about at all. And I'm going to rely on my co-hosts to uh, to school me, to introduce me to this topic. And that is Linux gaming. And we had a request from a listener who wanted to know what we thought about gaming on Linux, what we could suggest, what are the good good things to do. And so I'm going to kind of turn to you like, let's, we've talked about Linux before, but why don't we, you know, give a brief primer on what's Linux uh, for either one of you would like to jump in. Uh, Father, why don't you go go first? What is Linux? Yes. Yeah, so um, Linux is um, in the early 90s, um, a man by the name of Linus Torvalds um, created a operating system that was really meant to run servers. Um, and so your big problem um, of his era was that to run a server, um, which is what runs web pages and whatnot, email, um, you had to have thousands of dollars. Um, and what Linus really did was he was able to take a, I believe he took a 386, which um, we're talking about a today. Basic we have a com- desktop computer. Yeah. Yep. You're talking today. We have computers that are gigahertz. Um, the 386 measured, I think, at 33 megahertz. Yeah. Um, and so not a very strong computer, but he created what was called the Linux kernel. Um, and that was what it would be what um, Windows is to um, the window PC world um, or better, better yet, what DOS is to the Windows PC world back at that time. Um, to be able to run these computers at a cheap rate. Um, And he did this in what's called the open source um, way, which is that it's public. The code is publicly available to the world um, and that a community really works together to form that code, to build it up, to refine it Um, and they do it all through a method that's checked and everything um, by the peer by peers, um, but really done in a way of um, 
not free by the definition of like um, their regular saying is not free as in free beer, right? But free as in freedom, right? right. That I have the freedom to do with my code what I want, right? And to add, to take away, to change. Um, so, that, um, but then there's a Linux desktop, which is like Windows, right? Which um, the purist of you will tell you is called GNU Linux is the desktop. And there's different distributions of this. Um, and the distribution is like your Windows or your Mac OS. Right. So it's an, so basically, it's an operating system that's the basic com commands that run a computer, like Mac OS and Windows. And there's the the Linux is is not owned by a corporation; it's created by a community, and then layers are built on top of it that others have created with different names, which we've talked about before: Mint OS and yeah, Pop yeah. OS and um, various names like that. When we get into the area of gaming, what's really happened um, with Linux is for its first 25 years or, right, it was more of a business thing, right? And so this idea of gaming on Linux, if you would have said gaming on Linux to me when I was in college in 2005, I would have laughed in your face, right? What, right. I'm, playing, I'm playing games on a terminal? Right on a uh, right. On the other hand, I was like working on Solarix uh, Unix, which actually predates Linux workstations in 2000, 2001. And we did have like emulators running for, uh, you know, Nintendo Entertainment System and stuff that that we should have been, you know, we should have been working, but we were actually you know, playing <laughs> Mario. But no, nowhere <laughs> close to the realms that Windows gaming yeah. machines have been doing. Um, and so what's really exciting about this up and coming of gaming and Linux is I'm hoping that it does for the same thing what of the Internet. Right. And really the Internet exploding and being widespread was thanks to cheap servers that were able to be built. Um, and so this fact of gaming on a Linux level could this bring down the price of gaming? Um, and so that's a... Yeah, I, I would disagree that the explosion of the internet was due to cheap servers, and I would say it was more due to killer apps, such as email, specific web pages, apps running on the internet. And I think I'll just lay that like kind of groundwork here when, when we get into the, the topic of gaming as well. It's not so much the technology, it's the apps. And that's kind of my okay. going to be my standpoint. That's yep. fair. That's fair. Yeah, but it, it is true that the proliferation of inexpensive servers has made it much easier for the internet to grow. I guess is that thing yep. is that. Yeah. And Linux. I mean, and the fact is, is nearly every website that you access is running on a Linux box, probably. So, what is it? So you know, we we've got Windows gaming and there's. There is like some Mac gaming, but <laughs> nowhere near the same as Windows gaming. You have console gaming, which you have like Xbox and PlayStation and uh, Wii and uh, Nintendo Switch and that sort of stuff. Yeah. And you, so those are 
those all run different operating systems, right? The the Sony's PlayStation has a proprietary system. The Xbox has probably got a version of Windows in it and that sort of thing. Uh, so what we're talking about is running games on Linux instead of Windows. What's the benefit of running it on a game on Linux instead of just getting a Windows box? Aside from geek cred. Yeah. Um, in the past, I would say geek cred okay um i think we're reaching a point um and i'll hit on it later with um what steam it what valve the company valve is doing with steam yeah um but um big thing i think is longevity of hardware um and that i'm able to make use of older hardware to games still um in which I would not be able to do that in Windows as well. So Windows games will require more and new, more newer and thus more expensive hardware for the same kind of game experience. I would contest that. I mean, okay. I have an eight-year-old Windows machine that I priced out modestly. You know, I built modestly as you know in 2014 as a media server. And that'll still run most Windows games that come out. It won't run it, you know, at 120 frames per second or, you know, 4K or anything, but it'll still run anything that, that I throw at it with Steam. And that's an eight-year-old system. Yeah. You're not going to find... So, um, I don't know if you... If any of you watch um, Linus Tech Tips, right? Um, they did a whole Linux gaming challenge um, and they're... You know, they're all Windows fanboys, but I highly agreed with the conclusion he came to, um, which was basically, it's cool. Okay. It's nice, but Windows is still better for gaming. And I know that might be a little let down for a lot of people when we're doing a Linux gaming episode, but... Right. I, so the big benefit is is that you don't have to be on Windows, under Microsoft... If you're a Linux person, this is the sort of thing you want to do. So it's not so much it's, you know, if you own a Windows machine, you want to switch to a Linux machine because the gaming's better. It's more like I'm already on Linux and I want to be able to uh, play the, the play games on it. Right. Yes. However, um, I'm going to get to my one thing that the full benefit of Linux gaming, I think comes down to what valve's done with a steam deck okay um and that is the fact that i have in my hand right now a handheld gaming console that can play powerful computer games that i once at least needed a high-end desktop to play okay um and there is nothing in the windows world right now that can compete with that and Valve, to their credit, has gotten a large amount of their library able to play on Linux um, impressively. Okay. And so the fact that I can take my game, my whole Steam library with me on a handheld console um, that only costs me 600 bucks, um, which is very low for a gaming machine, mm -hmm. um, is that's the advantage. Um, but we, that's we should, all we should probably say who Valve is. Right. And, yeah. Yeah. yeah, go ahead. Thank you. 
Yeah, so so Valve, uh, you know, if if you're a really old school gamer like me, you'll know Valve is the uh, the Half Life people. They created a game called Half Life, and uh, it was a big hit. And then uh, and then they decided that they were actually going to turn this into a game store and have like you know digital rights management running on your PC so that you could you know play games on your PC that you bought in their store. And since that time, this store has kind of like grown to be like the the big game store on Windows. If you want a game to run on your Windows machine, you'll buy it in the uh, you know in in the Valve store um, or in the Steam store now. Uh, and am I leaving anything out? So so it's basically yeah. this this is this big store and it runs you know things on your PC usually using a like digital rights management and that sort of right. thing. And and Mac and Linux now, right? It's, it's like yeah. I I use I have a bunch of Steam games that I play on my Mac, and it's portable, so that if I have multiple computers, I can play my game on. If I have like a laptop and a desktop, I can play my game on both. And yeah, it's a store that's basically digital, kind of like you know when you're buying movies from Apple Movies and that sort of thing. You know that that you're you're buying the ability to play it and you know download it and play it, um, and so. So so that's Steam. And what Father's talking about is they are also just getting into hardware with the Steam Deck. And we'll get to the Steam Deck in a we'll bit. We'll get to that later. Yeah. But they're getting into hardware that's Linux-based. So let's talk about the kinds of games you can get. Like, well, So what, what are we looking at for kinds of games that, you know, it's like the categories of games that we can get on Linux? So the first category that we would be in is games that play natively on Linux. And what that means is that um, they're not Windows games. Um, They were games that, um, while there may be a Windows version for it, the programming of the game was done specifically for Linux. Um, There's a lot of fun clones of games. Um, So... The Civilization games have clones that are open source clones of that. Um, Sim City, yeah. Yeah. yeah, they have they play the same, but they have different names because yeah. it's a copy of the way it plays. Yeah. It's that meme, Mom. Can we have Civilization? No, we have Civilization at home, and then it's like <laughs> yeah. Civilization at home. <laughs> it's like the generic cereal from the from yeah. the, the, the yeah. store. Yes, and then. Um, and so that's they run natively on the hardware, like in Linux. And so those will probably be the fastest that they'll play the best. But then there's also I understand Windows game. You can play some Windows games inside Linux using certain emulator software. Um, emulator would not be the right term to use okay. um, because emulator would be like I'm running a false system on top. Right. Okay. Um, but what this is called is it's a compatibility layer. And so what it's basically doing is it's converting the Windows program into Linux language. Um, I'm really dumbing it down, but that's... Sure. Um, and so um, it's a piece of software called Proton. Um, and this was not developed by Valve. This is an open source project. Um, and it works together with another pr- project um, called Wine that was created to run um, Windows apps on Linux. Um, Namely, you know, people way back wanted to be able to be running their Microsoft Office on Linux. And so this software made available to run that and other pieces of software. Well, um, 
the proton compatibility layer is the full okay. name of it. Um, allows for those Windows games to play on Linux. Um, back to yep. the back to one of the benefits of it. Um, the compatibility layer can grab some of my games that would play on Windows XP, mm-hmm. right? Um, really old Windows games. Yep. That I can no longer play on Windows 10 or 11. So that might be one of the other benefits is that my old games are able to play okay. um, on that compatibility layer. And then another category of browser-based games so that um, using like like uh, Xbox Game Pass is one where um, you're playing basically on a remote computer through your browser. So it's running on Microsoft's server somewhere, a virtual Windows machine, and it's passing it through the internet and showing up on your computer screen in your web browser and you're playing the game that way. Uh, I've tried that in the past. It's okay. It, uh, it's, it's not gr- a great experience uh, with, on the Mac anyway. Yeah. If you don't, if you don't have um, close to gigabit connection, this lag. performance varies. Yeah. yeah. Um, when I had the only place I really enjoyed it was when I had, at least a 250 meg connection. Um, mm-hmm. When I don't have that, it lags, it skips frames, and it's just not like playing it on the metal in front of you. Right. So we mentioned earlier that there's different flavors of Linux, different versions of the, of the, so you get the basic Linux kernel, but then there's all the different distros that are built on top of it. And the distros are, are built for various purposes some are meant for general use some are meant for office use some are meant for servers so what are the best distros for gaming out there yes um to build on distros right it would be like um your flavors for computers you have like you use mac os or you use windows right and they have a different look for the desktop that's really what we're getting to when we're talking about um distros um i'll save the the best for last here um the first I wanted to bring up was um, Pop OS, which is actually Pop underscore OS explanation point. Mm-hmm. Um, they still haven't named it something better, <laughs> but that's right. It's made by a company called System76. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's their open source. So the operating self itself, system itself is free, um, but it's mainly meant to be with their um, systems, but it works fine on any others. Um, and this is the one that's the most out-of-the-box friendly for gaming, um, I think, um, for if I just have my own system metal that I'm running, right? Um, and so... So if I had, like, an old laptop, like an old Windows laptop I wasn't using anymore, could I, like, download this to, uh, like, thumb drive or something and install this on it? Precisely. Yep. So you okay. Um, pl- their website has the full guides that you need on how you would do that. How would you get it installed on your? Um, and then on that, you'd have to look. Um, right when I immediately open Pop OS, it's not like I'm just gonna immediately have all the games in the world that I want on it, right? But you're gonna be able to go to an app store that looks a lot like your Mac's app store. There'll be games in there. Um, and in there, you're gonna find um valves steam um to be able to install um and then 
with that, there's going to be um, some higher level configuration of right clicking and setting compatibility settings and stuff to get your Windows games to play. Um, but all in all, that's um, lots of YouTube videos and guides to walk you through. When I first started uh, venturing into Linux gaming, I used YouTube videos and it worked pretty well. Okay. So what else is there uh, available? Um, the second one um, is Manjaro Linux, which is a version of um, the the um, umbrella that comes under is it's called Arch Linux. Um, and this is probably the um, self-proclaimed nerdiest um, okay. area of Linux. Um, so it it's a little harder to uh, Manjaro is not harder to install, but Arch is harder to install. Manjaro is meant to be a simpler version of Arch. Um, and this was really what um, Steam used to, in a way to kind of build their, um, the framework of their, their um, distribution. Um, but this one is going to be the one that gets the most bang for the buck, but it's also going to be the one that's the most, um, more difficult in setting up than Pop! OS. More fiddly. Yeah. yeah th there's a lot more ch settings you can change. Um, and then very last is um, Steam OS, which was an earlier version um, before Valve started um, dipping their toes into hardware. They made an operating system called Steam OS. Um, it's a version of um, Debian, which is, if you've heard of Ubuntu, um, it's based on that. Actually, Pop! OS currently is based on that Debian as well. Um, and um, that one is spe specifically out of the box meant for gaming. It's not as good as their current one um, that's running on the Steam Deck. They're talking about releasing what they're doing for the Steam Deck for um, just regular PCs but they want to get all the kinks worked out first, right? It okay. was built for a specific piece of hardware um, with a specific graphic card in it, with a specific processor, right? It's right. not ready for you to throw on any system. Random hardware, yeah. Yes, so if I had like an old PC that was like running Windows 8 or Windows you know, 10 or something mm -hmm. and wanted to put a Linux distro on it for gaming which would you recommend i probably recommend to go pop os okay um i think that would be the easiest for most um i haven't played around with steam os too much i'm sure um some of our discord patrons might wholeheartedly disagree with me <laughs> on that one but um you can you can't open your mouth and say anything about linux without another linux user oh, disagreeing absolutely. With you. there yeah. is as many opinions about linux as there are distros it seems sometimes <laughs> and there are a lot of distros so uh, we we've talked a little bit about where you know, get your games from you can get them from steam and their store some of the distros like pop os have their own app store uh, where else would you get games from? Well, um, I mainly do all mine from Steam. Um, okay. But you can, um, there's another program built called Lutris, and it allows me basically to use all my different game stores, right? So um, I can use my GOG, um, I can use my, what's that one that gives the free game every week? 
Not humble one though, epic. but uh, epic. Okay. Yeah, I can okay. use my epic um game store. Um and Victor just said a good one. I I really enjoy going on Humble Bundle. Um, That's going to lead me usually to other game stores, but sometimes Humble Bundle just gives me the link to download. Um, And there's a lot of games that that's going to give me the Linux link for a download that I can just install the game natively. Um, And usually that's a lot more um, smaller producers of games, um, which I prefer a little bit. Lutris to talk a little bit about that. Um, It's an open source project that um, basically does all the nerdy behind the scenes stuff that needs to be installed for you. Right. So it runs a, what's called a script or a small program um, that installs everything that I need to install for that particular game. Um, So yes, there's a lot of trust in that, but there's a community that goes through and vets and make sure that people aren't putting um malware or whatever into it right Mm -hmm. um but that's does the job for you of all the hard work um was the goal of lutris um i've still kind of come with mileage may vary on that program but yeah it's they have thirty two thousand nearly uh different games and whatnot that you can download from there so that's pretty pretty extensive you're probably never going to go through that yeah, you wouldn't download the games from Lutris itself. Lutris would point you towards your store that you purchased the game from, right? Okay. So they're not um, they're not enabling you to steal games or anything. Um, the last category of things of games um, that I find much better on Linux than on Windows is emulation. Um, that I'm able to emulate. Um, my old Sega games, my old NES games, my Commodore 64 games, my MAME games, whatever I might be emulating. Um, and just um, there's programs that just do that beautifully mm-hmm. um, and a yeah. lot better than I think um, I've experienced on Windows. Yeah, I've been big in the emulation scene. So if we were talking like so we're talking about games and most people who are playing games want to like jump in and start playing the game, what percentage of the time would you say you're playing the games versus trying to get the games to play? It's that whole, like, when I've worked on Linux, it's like, do I want to be, like, be doing work on my computer or do I want to be working on my computer? You know? Yeah. Like, yep. yeah. So do I want to be gaming or do I want to be trying to make games work? And this is the the big stickling point for me is, like, when I want to play a game, I want to be, like, turn the game on, play the game, don't worry about like, am I running the right distro or, you know, all this. So what's the gaming experience like yeah. on Linux? Okay. So on my um, regular PC, um, which is aptly named Hal, I hope we all get that joke. Um, yeah. 2001 Space Odyssey. I can't do that, Dave. Yes. Hal is much more um, stubborn when he's Linux. He, he tells... Mm. He tells Father Joseph that he can't do it quite often. Um, and then I, but, um, so I'd say when I'm, when I was doing Linux gaming on that box, I probably spend 50% of the time that I was spending getting games, trying to get them to run. So if, if you're on Linux, you're, you, you kind of know this, if you're a Linux person, 
you like spending your time getting your system to work, right? I mean, that's kind of the the fun of it, right? It's like a guy working on a sheet sheet true mechanic working on yeah. his old his old muscle car. Half the fun is keeping the thing working. Actually, it's more like a British sports car, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. It's yes. like half the fun is getting the thing to run, and then the other half is actually driving it. Yeah, but I qualify that because with my Steam Deck, which is Linux. I spend barely any time getting it to work. Right. I spend less time getting things to work on my Steam Deck than I do on my window when I'm playing under Windows. So, so. I want to I want to come back to the Steam Deck because I don't want to uh, yeah. uh, preempt your pick yes. of the week, which which I'm guessing we've we've kind of hinted at already. It's pretty probably pretty clear what what it's going to be. Um, so, is there anything else we need to think about as, apart from the whole Steam Deck question that we need to think about? With regard to Linux and gaming, other things we want to maybe suggest to people or talk about? I think we probably covered the basics. I mean, there's a lot more. You know, actually, I want to suggest um, talking about Linux gaming and Linux PCs. Jeff Geerling, who was a guest on our show a few weeks mm -hmm. ago, um, he had this great video that he did uh, back in March of 2022 uh, where he built a modern Linux gaming PC, so a tricked-out computer and tried to get it running as, you know, as fast as possible, you know, a modern game that I forget which one it was. I think it was uh, it was one of the, the, the big new games that that really pushes the hardware. And he, and he and he had issues trying to get the drivers working and the various things like that. He eventually got it going, but it it's a good um, exploration of, you know, what it's like to kind of do this from scratch you know, with a high end game and maybe why, you know, gaming on Linux, the future of it is going to maybe be less trying to build a Linux PC and maybe more like what you were talking about with Steam, Father. Yeah, um, I would also say the encouragement I would have um, for someone doing gaming on a Linux PC um, on a box they have in front of them is if I really want to learn Linux, that's probably one of the best ways to get in and start learning things because there's the community build around it. There's the help you're going to find around it. Um, right. By and large, um, is nerdy and um, fighting amongst themselves sometimes as the Linux community can be. I found them very um, helpful to one another as well. You just right. have to be able to take a few elbows here and there. Um, but if I want to really learn how to use it, that gaming is probably going to be one of the best ways for me to learn. And you're going to want to be on Reddit and YouTube a lot for that sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And there's a lot out there. There's a lot of stuff on YouTube. There's a lot of stuff in, 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 in Reddit on this very topic. So when you, when you need to help, it's probably already out there. You're just going to Google it and you'll find it. So I think that's a pretty good introduction. If folks have any specific questions, any stuff they'd like to, to further explore, and we'll be coming back to this actually at, at the end of the program as well uh, to, for, for a pick of the week. But uh, if there's any more that you'd like to let us know, we would love to you know, revisit this with your specific questions. Yeah. In the, in the show notes, we'll have, um, there's an article um, gaming on Linux. All you need to know um, that's, really just lays everything out for you. Um, and so I think that would be a good resource if you're interested in diving into that. Um, really Excellent. gives you the um, bullet points on that. 
Very good. Excellent. At this point, we I want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of tech, including Christopher K, Patrick M, Father Jonathan S, and Kira M. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of technology and all the shows at StarQuest. And you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. And just as a reminder that I'm not sure if we, we don't mention this all the time, StarQuest is a 501c3. So your gifts are tax deductible as applicable to your particular tax situation. Consult your tax attorney, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> so <laughs> your mileage may vary. So uh, let's move on to our headlines. And our first headline uh, was interesting. It's a Wired article. High-tech cars are killing the auto repair shop. Now, before we get into this, as always, with auto-related topics, I just want to mention on for Victor's behalf that he's, he speaks for himself and not on behalf yes. of his employer. So I just want to mention this that. This is correct. <laughs> yeah, I do, I do work for an auto manufacturer, but I, I, my opinions are myself. And, um, yeah, obviously that's the case. Yeah. And uh, and I don't think your your employers mentioned it all in this article, as far as I remember. So, no. Uh, so what this the interesting thing about this is um, everybody has I, everybody who owns a car has experience taking your car to a car, um, you know, a repair shop, or auto mechanic, whether it's for oil changes or, you know, for fixes. But one of the things they talk about this is cars have become so complex and technical that. It, the 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 repairs require expensive technology and expensive training that isn't as prevalent in a, in your corner auto you know repair shop and on top of that more and more shops are closing because the average age, half of all um our auto repair shop owners are over the age of 60 and they they're not making as enough money as they, because they say that the the insurance industry is not compensating them enough for the increased costs of repair. Uh, the, you know the, the 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 payout has not gone up commensurate with the the inflation mm -hmm. in the repair costs, their costs. So we have this shortage that's coming. Uh, that's partly due to financial stuff and age stuff, but partly due to technology. So I, I want to. You know, throw this out there. What do y'all think of this question? Is is this a is this a looming disaster for us that would come in? I I don't know that it's, it it doesn't have to be a looming disaster. I mean, if you drop your phone and the screen breaks, I mean, and it's an Apple phone, you take it to a Genius Bar, right? And they they can fix it there, but they can only do that if they have enough technicians to repair it. Um, I I. I think the, you know, and, and cars today have become as complicated as a phone, if not more so. Like if you, you know, in, in olden times, if you rear-ended somebody, you know, you you dent your bumper, you might knock out a couple of headlights, but it's okay because every car basically has the same kind of headlight. Um, but now if you rear-end somebody, like, you know, you've knocked out the front-facing camera that does your you know, collision detection, it does your lane, like, you know, it does your lane detection, it does your adaptive cruise control, um, you know, depending on whether or not, you know, chips are available, are they making that camera at the moment? Um, it, it becomes a real issue because there, there are parts availability, but yeah, I mean, the availability, 
availability of uh, technicians is is a real concern. And uh, to some degree, it's because we've, you know, devalued people going into, you know, fixing cars and mm-hmm. fixing things and, and, you know, working with their hands and becoming technicians. Um, you know, and until there is an adjustment in society that says you don't need a college degree, you can, you know, go into a trades or something and and be just as valued and, and just as, you know, worthwhile with your career. Um, but yeah, so I would encourage <laughs> any young people who are, who are hearing this, uh, like definitely consider that as a career path because, um, you know, just, just speaking from my own experience there, there's definitely a need for, for technicians and, uh, you know, they'll pay for your schooling and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, you, you'll be paid and compensated very well. I want to hit a different angle on this, um, hitting on the same thing that you're talking about, the four-year university thing. Um, right now, by and large, to get a computer science, right, to be trained in computer science, to be p- trained to work as a technician on electronics, you pretty much have to go to liberal arts school. And I think that's a disservice to mm-hmm. what's happening now with technology. Um, and until we realize that tech, that the trade of computers, um, electronics, and all of that in cars needs to be happening in trade school and not as exclusively in a four-year university. It still can happen in four-year university yeah. exclusively. Then we're going to be cutting ourselves short on the people that we're going to have who are talented and well and know how to do those things. Um, Especially because um, sometimes your people who are more prone to um, be working with their hands on the technology stuff aren't really going to want to sit through um, no. <laughs> all those liberal arts class. English yeah. 101. <laughs> yeah, they may yeah. not be academically inclined. They may not be interested in taking lots yeah. of book classes, but they are really good with their hands and really good at mechanical stuff. And And I think it's a disservice to make them sit through, you know, history of Western Civ. I mean, there's value in those things in and of themselves. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. But if someone's really interested in just becoming a, a car mechanic, even, a, you know, as technical as it is, I think it's a disservice to make them do, jump through all the hoops and spend $200,000 on tuition to do that. You yeah. know, one of the things that this article brings up is – that I noticed in this particular article is almost all the vehicles they talk about are high-end cars. We're talking the Porsche Cayennes and Audis. And is this, is this an expensive car problem? I mean, is this a problem? Is, is this complexity in across the, the, the product lines? Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's not, I mean, granted the, the joke used to be like, like, you know, if you buy an import, you know, there's one garage that can take care of you, but, Mm-hmm. Cars have become so imbued with technology now, and it's it's not just an import problem. I yeah. think whether it's domestic, uh, you know, uh, you know, a, a Japanese, a European, or a, a Chinese car, they're all going to have uh, incredibly complex technology. And yeah, I mean, it relies on having availability of the actual components that you need to replace it, but also the people who are, you know, qualified to install and configure it. Um, so yeah, I agree with you a hundred percent. It's, it's, you know, we have, we have, uh, you know, children who 
you know, a, a college degree has been, you know, point of pride for our family for generations. And now we're reconsidering. It's like, you know, what do you get out of out of a college degree versus being able to do a job and, and you know, make a life for yourself that way without without a lot of debt and still making a, a very good living for yourself. So, I mean, they're hiring like auto mechanics, $60 an hour. Like, yeah, it's good to, money to start. Yeah. Um, I think one of the simple examples to show that it's a common car problem, right? I get my, I had to get um, my passenger tire patched a few weeks back, right? And there's the sensor inside the stem of the tire, everything, right? And the sensor doesn't reset. Um, And the older mechanic doesn't know much about the sensor. Um, I ended up figuring out just doing a little bit of Googling that I had to drive about 20 miles for it to cycle through um, and it would do a drive cycle and everything. You have that simple technology and something as simple as patching a tire, mm-hmm. yeah. right? Which it used to be that you could um, train a high schooler to be patching tires in yeah. auto you know, shops. You could do it in your driveway once yeah. upon a time. Um, but now the fact that you have to know how the technology in that tire works to patch a tire. Because there are sensors there. Are, I mean, it's, it's basically, it's an internet of things world here. I mean, you have to know how the sensors are playing off of each other, how the sensors actually work and behave in real world conditions and stuff. And it's, yeah. So I, I get why like people would say, you know, any mechanic should be able to repair any car. But it's kind of like saying I should be able to take any phone in any computer to, you know, the guy on the corner and he can repair my iPhone 6. He can repair my iPhone 14. He can repair my Samsung Galaxy 22. He can repair my Commodore 64. He can repair my, you know, Windows 11. It's I mean, the technology is so varied and dispersed now. It's because people want these features. I mean, I want, you know, to be able mm-hmm. to stay in my lane. I want to have my car automatically brake when I'm about to run into something. You know, I want adaptive cruise control. Um, and all those things require sensors, cameras, you know. Complexity. Soft, and software that, yeah. that your shade tree mechanic is just not going to be aware of anymore. Put a last note on this one. I think the um, companies doing the manufacturing um there's there's kind of a couple things that need to be looked at and one is am i making things that they are repairable right that i'm not just creating more waste um is one thing that i hammer away on and two is are those auto manufacturer companies right your ford and your chevys back when cars were first made were the ones that we're making the training industry for mechanics, right? Hmm. And are they being involved in those trade schooling and promoting trade schooling um, and doing that to make sure um, the future mechanics and technicians for those cars are around um, and how are they promoting that? Um, And so those are just two last thoughts on that. Yeah, I could say it's definitely, it's definitely an issue for the, for the OEMs, you know, having uh, mechanics who can who can work on their products, and it's something they're very actively uh, pursuing. Mm. So our next headline is about pass keys. Pass key, according to Ars Technica, pass keys are finally here. Yay! Not, 
<laughs> not punchkeys, right? Because <laughs> punchkeys. <laughs> Punchkeys are different. We're not. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, these these are definitely passkeys. Passkeys oh, have okay. been touted as the replacement for the password. Uh, we've been told for years that the de- the the password the death of the password is right around the corner. Everyone hates passwords, right? We all hate that. You know, this is why we have password managers. The fact that we have to have something that manages all of our passwords means we have too many passwords, and then people use insecure passwords because. They can't remember all of their passwords. And so what the passkey is supposed to promise is that we don't need passwords anymore. And it's kind of a complex thing. I've been trying to get my head around how it works. And apparently the way it is, the way it works is it's kind of, you know, for years we've used the multiple authentication system. You know, it's something you know, which is your password, and something you have, which is like either like a, the three-factor authentication is something you have, which is a device and like a key, and then something that you are, which could be like your fingerprint or your face ID or something along those lines. And so what they're trying to, what passkeys do is instead of having you having to type in a password, if you if you go to a site and you want to log in, it's going to say want to, to um, have you authenticated you're the right person to be using this computer say and you'll either use your your fingerprint on a fingerprint reader or you'll use your phone to unlock and your phone will be connected to your computer via bluetooth and it will say okay you're you and then there will be cryptographic keys that you never see that they're all you know random long strings of numbers that are stored in the computer and those are what unlock the site and the best the, the the benefit of this is no one can fish your password from you you can't be tricked into handing it over it's really hard to hack this sort of system all the phishing and rans- uh you know ransomware attacks that sort of stuff doesn't necessarily go away but it certainly becomes less prevalent so the problem you know so mike the big deal is that microsoft apple and google have all updated their operating systems lately and added in the ability for passkeys but they're still not to here yet. There's still, you know, it's everybody's got to put it into their servers and apps. And, you know, there's all kinds of elements that still need to be made. So what do you all think of this? I mean, is are, are we are we right on the edge of getting rid of passwords finally? <laughs> like I, re- I read the article and yeah. I like like you, I tried to wrap my head around it. And until they can make a compelling case where people can understand this. Yeah. I mean, I can understand. Okay. I know my password. I type it in. You recognize my password. You let me into my bank or whatever. Or you text me a a, a code. I, you, you know, I have my phone number. I, I enter that in. So I know you. I mean, that I think people understand that sort of transactional, like you give me a token, I give you a token until like they can make this easy for people to understand. It's kind of like cryptocurrency. It's like, yeah, like nobody understands exactly how the technology works. Uh, apparently, the um, people who run the big exchanges don't either. Well, <laughs> yeah. yeah, don't it's, worry, you don't have to understand it much longer. I don't think it's going to be around. Yeah, too long. it's yeah. It, 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 it until you can make it like okay, this is my bank, right? I mean, this is this is you know my bank. This is my email. This is my identity online. You know, until you can explain to me why. I don't need to enter my password and you can recognize me. I think 
they need to do a little bit more of a, you know, education or communication push on this. Right. What one experience I had that I think is akin to this um, is was making a purchase today on my Mac. I know I was talking about how proud I'm of Linux <laughs> and my work PC is a um, M1 MacBook, yeah. but um, I was making a purchase on my Mac and I did Apple Pay on it. And just this beauty of it says, pick up your iPhone and confirm the payment. Yeah. Didn't have to enter my address. Didn't have to enter any credit card number. Just picked up my iPhone, clicked the power button twice, let it see my face. My transaction was complete. And that's essentially what Passkey is going to do. That's how it's going to work. I mean, that's the beauty of it. And they need to explain it like that. In some way, like the article at the end kind of talks about Think of it like instead of having to use a password manager to create a password and then you store it, the computers take care of that part. They make the password for you and they store it for you. You don't even have to think about it. All you know is I unlocked my phone with my face and now I have access to my bank's website. And I think you're right, Victor. They need to explain this in a way that the average, like we're techies. And we're having trouble yeah. wrapping our head around mm-hmm. it. They need to make this accessible to the average user. And that's what hasn't happened yet. Here's my problem with it. I was at a um, basketball game the other day. And in the arena, they have lines in the arena that are mobile payment only. Um, and. Oh, wow. The hilariousness. It's just hilarious to watch some people. Try to do mobile payment. Really? Um. And just not get it. Luckily, they don't hold them to it. And the things that yeah. have mobile payment also have credit cards. So they say this line's mobile payment only. Um, usually people end up swiping their credit, putting the chip of their I credit wonder, card. Why in. is it so hard? I mean, it's you double click the button on the side and hold the phone to it. Like, <laughs> why is that so hard? I was very proud of myself because I went to the grocery store. This is probably about like a year ago. And I had forgotten my wallet. And so I had no way to pay pay for my groceries. And then I saw the mobile payment thing there. And I was like, well, I've never used this before. And within about 30 seconds, I had set up Google Pay uh, to pay for my groceries and stuff. So the big difficulty of it is nothing is standardized. That's true. Um, and so some of them, the NFC thing is in the keypad reader. Some of it's in the screen. Some of oh, it's yeah. in the little pad to the left. Trying oh, to find I move my phone. Yeah, yeah. like all it, over. It's a game yeah. of trying to find it. Trying and to find so, the NFC reader is is a big yeah. pain. Yeah, and so um, and so even people you even had thirty somethings right who shouldn't maybe be knowing how that works, completely confused because there's no indication for you of where you're supposed to put <laughs> I mean, the phone. Put I mean. The, the terminal manufacturers put a sticker where the phone is supposed to go. Like, why is that so hard? Yeah. I've been, I have been pretty much for the, for at least the past two years, since the beginning of the pandemic, almost entirely Apple pay. When I'm out paying for things, it's rare that I pull out a card and almost never cash. I mean, <laughs> that's like, like that. Like I pay for my lottery tickets with cash, but other than that, everything is Apple Pay. Uh, at at the you know whatever wherever we go, I mean everybody has has moved there. There were a few holdouts, but the pandemic really pushed everyone to contactless payments, and I think that's really. But you're right, Father. The the it the process, the experience itself, 
leaves a lot to be desired for the average person. And so they haven't even figured that part out. They really need to get better at that. And and none of this is under the control of any one person. And that's part of the problem. So let's move on to our last headline, which is that uh, about social media content moderation. And (laughs) so India has a new law that requires all the social media companies to have a grievance officer who is in charge of, so when, when you go get put into Twitter jail or Facebook jail, you can file an appeal to the grievance officer. Now, that's an employee of the social media company. But, the, but in addition, the, the, the country has set up a grievance appellate committees of government-appointed people who will hear appeals. There's going to be a holiday on December the 23rd. Um, uh-huh. In which all grievances can be aired to Twitter. <laughs> Everybody come to the poll. Festivus. I've got grievances against you people. Uh, you're going to hear them. You're going to hear them. <laughs> this so, is like the most India thing ever. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, <laughs> so, I mean, do you think it's a good idea to have like a, an appeals outside of the corporation? I thought on Twitter, aren't you just supposed to send your grievances right now to at Elon Musk and get a <laughs> Pretty snarky much. response? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You'll get, yeah. About what you'd expect for a response for the one guy. Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> thumbs up, thumbs down. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's basically appealing to the emperor. So, I mean, on the one hand, I, w- I would imagine such committees would be overwhelmed on the first day with yeah. with appeals. Yes. I can't imagine how a committee of a handful of people could po- possibly adjudicate <laughs> the thousands of appeals that would be hitting them. On the other hand, I mean, it's at least more transparent than the current system, right? Which is I'm in Twitter jail or Facebook jail. I have no idea why. There explain there's no explanation. It's just you violated some nebulous community standard somewhere and now, you know, you you can twiddle your thumbs while you're waiting to get out of jail or you're permanently banned and, you know, no appeal. I mean, I, I, there's got to be some there's got to be some mechanism uh, uh from my point of view anyway. Yeah, it's it's whether or not the government gets involved or you just, you know, move your account over to Getter or True Social at that point. You know, it's just, <laughs> yeah. Try to figure out Mastodon. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it's one of those things that we would have hoped that the um, beauty of capitalism would have figured this out at some point. But apparently it well um, yeah. has it. Well, it's not because, you know, the, the, the companies only listen to the people from whom they're making their money. We are the product, not the customer. And, and, and that's places. where and that's where the problem has come is right. that we've we've gotten outside of the realm of capitalism and the fact that we um, we've become the product. Right. Yeah. And now we're getting really dystopian again. But, right. And, yeah. and the fact that you're like appealing to the government for like to uphold your free speech rights. It's kind of well, laughable too. Yeah, it's like we already do that though, right? When you have when you your free speech rights are violated, you go to court and you look for the courts to uphold yeah, your rights. But this would be more like like going to the like consumer the FCC per- commission. Yeah, yeah, the FCC <laughs> commission or the or the Food right. and Drug Administration or something to yeah. The local board of health. Yeah, <laughs> maybe we should have like local committees, you know, in your town, you know. 
<laughs> yeah. Your neighbors. No, I hate Bob. He needs I, to be I silenced. Don't like that. Or, or platforms that just like respect free speech. And, you know, to Elon Musk's credit, I think that's what he's trying to create. He's just trying not to, you know, open the damn gates, you know, all at once. Right. And completely. <laughs> I think he did. Well. Oh, no, well, no. Oh, this is. Yeah. There's, there's still people getting banned and shut down. I mean, there's yeah. still people getting suspended for stuff that was yeah. um, questionable before. So he hasn't I'm really so, opened the gates yet. I think his first try at Twitter blue, I think, was pretty close to opening the floodgates. But yeah, well, uh, that's a yeah a bit of a different problem. But yeah, it's that it, that's just a uh, troll problem. <laughs> So, but, uh, you know, India, India's trying. I mean, it's not a great solution, but it's an interesting try. We'll see how we check back with them in about a year and see how that's going with them. I'll I'll give them a C plus. (laughs) There you go. So it is time to go to our picks of the week. And uh, Victor, I'm going to put, put you up first, your, uh, your pick of the week. Yeah, so um, my pick of the week is actually a video game, um, but not just any video, video game. It's called uh, No Man's Sky or uh, No Man's Sky. And it's a game that actually came out in 2016. Um, and at the time, it kind of the developers kind of over promised and under delivered. They promised this huge, expansive universe that you could fly around and have adventures and take your starship to any of like 6 billion or 6 trillion planets and land on them. And uh, while you could do that, there wasn't really anything to do on these planets once you <laughs> landed on them. But over the course of six years, they've added a, a lot of content to the game. They've added like stories, they've added space battles, they've added um, all sorts of different technologies and stuff that you can, um, you know, explore and finally, uh, within the past month, it's come out on the uh, Nintendo Switch. And I have to say that, like, playing on my little, uh, you know, Nintendo Switch handheld, a game, and this does run very well in Linux, I've I've heard. So if you have a, a Steam OS deck, you can play this as well on that. But it's a very exciting game. I mean, there really are, like, six trillion, like, star systems in this galaxy that you can explore. And every planet is different. And every planet is procedurally generated to have different, you know, plants and animals on it. And there is a story that you can kind of do if you want, but you don't have to do it. There's spaceship battles, but you don't have to do it if you want. You can create a fleet of starships uh, to run missions if you want, but you really don't have to. You can just kind of fly your sp- spaceship around and land on planets and see what cool, you know, animals are there. You can adopt them as your companions and breed them, or you can just mine minerals, or you can, you know, just see what kind of upgrades you can get for your spaceship to make it fly faster and stuff. And it's a really cool game. I've I've had it for about a month, and I've already spent probably about fifty or sixty hours on it. Don't don't tell anyone, but um. <laughs> it's 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 really cool if you like uh you know like breath of the wild on your nintendo and animal crossing or just games where you can just explore an entire galaxy on your own terms um uh you should definitely check it out and it runs really well on the switch i haven't had uh you know hardly any crashes on it and it's it's just a game where you can pick it up for 20 minutes and just exp- explore a planet and then leave that planet or you can play for like three hours if you have a specific goal in mind that you want to accomplish. So um, I would really recommend it if you have somebody who likes the uh, the type of game um, for Christmas, you could uh, get that for them. 
Fantastic. That sounds really yeah. great. Uh, Father Joseph, now it's your turn to shine. <laughs> so my pick of the week is my Steam Deck. Um, and so this is the handheld um, console that's put out by Valve. Um, I think the lowest level is upper $400, and the highest, I think, is up near 7 The lowest one, you get 64 gigabytes. Um, I couldn't really defend buying that because... You barely can turn on a device now without using 64 gigabytes. Um, so I have the 256 gigabyte model. It does have, you can use um, micro SD cards oh, cool. in it. Um, and impressively works. I was thinking it might be a little slow with that, but impressively works. The great thing about this is I haven't been able to stump it yet with my library. Um, now, keep in mind, my library is more heavily Linux flavored. Um, but I pray play a lot of EA games and have the EA game pass inside steam. Um, and with origin and all of that, it works perfectly. Um, one button installs. So you can disregard everything we had to say about <laughs> the setup of Linux gaming. Um, it does it all for you right there as long as it's in your steam library. Um, if you're trying to get things out of your Epic library and everything, then we're going to get into a whole other messy territory. Um, it can also be docked and used as a desktop computer. So you can put it into desktop mode um, and use it as a regular Linux PC as well. So you can connect it to a big monitor and play it just like you was with any other mm-hmm. you know, big. Yeah. Um, the one problem um, that some a lot of people have been having is um, games that have easy anti-cheat cheat right now, which is a layer that a lot of game manufacturers put on their games to stop you from cheating. Mileage varies on some of those games, um, but it's something they're actively working on um, and should okay. be able to get working. It's to the game manufacturer and easy anti-cheats. Um, Yep. advantage to work with it when you're when you have as big hitter as valve pushing right. on it i think it, and it will get done that's going to happen to pretty much any system is they're going to have some games that work better than others and some yeah. will have issues and they'll have to work out kinks and that sort of thing i'm sure that happens yep. on xbox and playstation too yep um last note on it i was able to do a program called mu deck and that basically runs what's called retro arch which is an emulation yeah, yeah front thing but it does all the back end stuff and allows you to configure everything so you know my game boy games can fit the screen of the switch and look good and so i've been playing my game boy games playing my pokemon um all of that um on my switch on my steam switch, deck steam deck <laughs> yeah. um, dr freud let me help you up <laughs> on my on my steam deck there's built-in things that let you switch the controller layouts and all of that. Um, um, actually, the Steam Deck has that built-in. So Community can build controller layouts for games so you can change the controller layout, okay. um, all that. I could go on for hours, as you can tell, so <laughs> let's just leave it there. Yeah. So if you have a game that has like local multiplayer, so this is like something like Smash Brothers where like four uh-huh. or eight players can play on the same system on a TV... Can you connect uh, multiple controllers via Bluetooth to it? 
Yes, so it has full Bluetooth, so you could do Bluetooth controllers, you could do your USB controllers. I can do my regular Bluetooth headset onto it, right, um, that I do to not disturb my um, priest living with me (laughs) when I'm gaming. Um, And so all of those little Bluetooth things, um, I can use a standard um, USB-C dock um, Mm -hmm. or hub to do the monitor. As long as it's not one of the, um, what is it called, display link ones, Hmm. right? It has to be one that's natively doing it. You can't be using the display link stuff, which if if you're a Mac user, you're already used to that, that Mm -hmm. um, display link isn't the um, friendliest devices. Cool. Excellent. So my pick of the week is nothing to do with gaming and it has to do with something a little more fundamental. Uh, let me tell you a tale about uh, you've never lived until you've had a nine year old or no, an eight, six year old boy in the middle of the city who on a Cub Scout field trip who suddenly has um, gastrointestinal distress, shall we say, and you're desperately trying to find a public restroom. Well, if I'd had this app, I would have been just fine. Uh, this is called Flush Toilet Finder, and its basic purpose is to help you find a public bathroom or restroom in the cities that it covers. And it says it has 100,000 public bathrooms around the world in its database. And it will give you details like, do you need a key? Is it, does it, you know, disabled, you know um, handicap accessible? I, I'm not sure what the politically correct term for that is now, but you know, does it require you to be a customer or make a purchase and all these sorts of things. Uh, and including even like sometimes directions, like if it's in a hotel, like where in the lobby, you know, you have to go through the lobby and to the left and that sort of stuff. So, and then it will have a map and you will, you know, just hit, you know, take me there and it will go to um, uh, Google maps or Apple maps and give you directions to get to the, where you're going. So, it's a uh, it's available for both iOS and Android, and it's just one of those apps that you should have on your phone just in case, because there will be a day when you're going to need it. Do you want to type in both um, my city and Father Corey's city and see if um, we do have available bathrooms listed? So, well, um, no, there won't be. Father Corey won't be. I'll be, I'll be certain he's, his little town will not be in there. But let me see. If, uh, you're in Omaha. Elgin. E-L-G-E-G-I-N. Elgin, Nebraska. Uh, yes, Elgin. There's, uh, let's see, there's Imperial Grill. There's Station. I'm not sure what that means. Maybe like a gas station. What, uh, one stop station, yes. Yep. PDQ, Coover Skelly Service, the Horrell Station, Rotherham Service. So you get the idea. A lot of gas stations on this one. Um Where's I forget what exact town Father Corey's in, but let me put Grand Rapids. Not Grand Rapids. Uh, He's going to kill me. Grand Junction or Colorado. I I just put this in for my. I just put this in for my suburb, and yeah, I'm I'm seeing a lot of the you know the usual suspects that I'd expect. But there's there's the one like vacant lot on a corner that's literally just around the corner from me, and Uh it says it's an it says Amazon Locker Boggy. And it says there's a toilet there, and it's a vacant lot. Yeah, some. So some I'm of the gonna ones I'm you... gonna check that out tomorrow. <laughs> some of the ones you know, because I drive right past it every day. <laughs> some funny. of the ones you led for, read for my area, um, 
I'm pretty sure they're vacant buildings that haven't been open in in a while. Some of this has to do with uh, users, um, uh, you know, updating it, just like a lot of this sort of crowdsource stuff. Yeah. I mean, obviously. I'll check this out. In the more remote areas and the outer lying. But if you're in a city and that's the the main thing is like, I, I don't need a public restroom when I'm in my little suburb of boston i know where i know i go home uh but when i'm in boston or when i'm in new york city or when i'm in you know traveling that's really where it's going to come in handy and the best part about the app is that it's free um there there are little ads in it but um it's it's free and that that's the thing and by the way great falls which is uh father Corey's diocese uh that's the city 25 miles from that does it's in there as well so uh yeah your he, mileage he has to go 25 miles to use the bathroom well okay. i'm sure this i'm in his little town i just don't remember what the name of the town <laughs> is i think it's cascade now that i think about it but it's too late now i, I shut the app i'm um, gonna tr- i'm gonna try to use the bathroom on this corner tomorrow and see what happens <laughs> <laughs> when does your local paper i want to make sure i check the police log for you <laughs> Today's sheriff report. Yeah, right. <laughs> but local the app man, said, <laughs> "Yeah, local man arrested for public indecency." <laughs> All right. Before this goes any more further down the drain. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so before we get any further down the drain, let's end this. Uh, wrap things up and end things here. Uh, so we. Well, I hesitate to say this now, but we really would love to hear what you think of our discussion about anything we discuss, Linux, uh, gaming on Linux, and that sort of stuff. Let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash technology or the StarQuest Facebook page, facebook.com slash Media. Send an email to technology at sqpn.com. Visit the StarQuest Discord community at sqpn.com slash discord. And you can find links from our discussion and picks of the week in our show notes at sqpn.com. We already had a um, pre-discussion on Discord that there were a lot of, um, there was an extensive list of good games to be playing on Linux. So um, if you want to see a good list, um, hit up Discord for that one. Yes, check out our Discord. There's a lot of great discussion going on there. And if you know any great places to use the bathroom, add those to our Discord as well. We can... <laughs> oh, that's going to be an interesting channel <laughs> yeah. uh, after this show drops. Uh, please, <laughs> well, I hit, now I hesitate to ask this. Write a review in Apple Podcasts. <laughs> five or one stars. Of the, five stars would go there again. And share the podcast with your friends. Help us grow our community and reach more listeners. We'd like to thank James for research assistance in this episode. And until next time, Victor Lambs, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of technology. Thanks, Tom. Father Josephson, thank you as well. You're welcome. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of technology on StarQuest.